So you can't really talk about the early second wave of the women's movement without talking about This is a WLRN extended interview. I'm with Selma and Noelle of Bloodroot Restaurant. Can you tell me about yourself? <laughs> you want to go first? Uh, well, I just turned 83 years old. Okay. Wow. Happy birthday. <laughs> and uh, Pisces. And I keep saying this. Noelle and I feel we're really lucky because we've had this long life, 41 years at Bloodroot, in a really beautiful spot, overlooking the water, gardens outside. We love to cook, okay? We still love to cook, especially the more we can discover about vegetarian and vegan foods. And we really like the people who come in here. And the thing that, as I've said to a lot of you, is we didn't think that there were any radical dykes anymore. <laughs> we thought we were the last living ones. <laughs> and we did have Lindsay come and work here, and I knew she was, okay? But, you know, this was... Well, where is everybody? <laughs> yeah. So especially to know about the radio was like, wow. Yeah. The problem is we don't know how to get it because we're not computer savvy. Okay? Well, we can help you out that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so. we're going to work that out. But, you know... We're just so thrilled, and Noel said, you know, we both have daughters, mm -hmm. and our daughters are terrific, mm -hmm. but this is not where they are. So we figure you all are our granddaughters, and we are just <laughs> thrilled. It's right, age-wise. granddaughters, <laughs> right? So, yeah. Yeah. so how did great. you two meet? We met at a National Organization for Women uh, conference. This is at about 76 or so, something like that, or maybe even earlier. Earlier, earlier than that, yeah. yeah. 75. Yeah, and I, I walked in. I was a housewife with two children, and I was miserable. <laughs> and uh, I walked into this place, and I saw a lot of women sitting around and looking comfortable and like they liked their lives. And I thought, oh, maybe there's something here for me. And there was. It really got me started on a journey that is not ended yet. Mm -hmm. So to, to see that was great. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, how was Bloodroot founded? Well, it's sort of a longish story, but I think that I think there are a lot of really good feminist women, like right now, okay? But until I could think of myself as a lesbian, I probably wouldn't have left the marriage, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, women become dykes for any number of reasons. And I was straight, I was absolutely straight. But I think that what happened to me, the woman who sort of brought me out, she was so competent. She was about to leave for California. She had her own van. This was unthinkable to me. I had lived with my parents, and then I lived with a husband, and, you know, they drove. And you know what I mean? I was not competent. There wasn't any way I could imagine living by myself or even living with another woman. And she said to me, you know, you're really a lesbian. Oh. <laughs> I said, that's nice of you to say. But this is <laughs> and uh, her name, I might as well say it, because uh, she's long gone, Elizabeth Hatcher. She was a, a jeweler. And, um, and then, you know, after she left, I'd get up some morning and say, I'm really a lesbian. <laughs> and then I'd go, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> But once I could begin to think of myself that way, then I could begin to think that I really didn't want to stay in the marriage. 
Because we knew women who, you know, had flings with other women, but they they couldn't go any further with it. And I had been designing gardens for a while, not making a lot of money. And Nola and I were, were in a rap group together with other women. And we talked all the time in the rap group. And one of the things I talked about was how I had set this money aside. And of course, I had a joint account with my husband, right? And, and everybody thought it would be the feminist thing to do would be to put it in the same joint account. And I couldn't. I don't know why I couldn't, but I couldn't. Well, once I split up with him, I took that money. But at least I had the nerve, you know, the nerve to think of doing this. And then there were some people who loaned us money, and my parents eventually came through that they were not happy. <laughs> but, you know, but I couldn't have done it if I hadn't had that selfish thing that this is mine and I'm, I'm taking care of myself. It was that business okay. of being confident, of being able to take care of oneself. That, as far as I'm concerned, is the measure of lesbianism to me. You know, I mean, it was at the beginning, and it still is in a lot of ways. Okay. And you know, when we did this rap group, which we did for a long time with a lot of women, and Selma and I were both in it with friends, uh, when she decided to do Blood Root, and we had talked about every feminist issue you can imagine, <laughs> our mothers, orgasms, women, blah, blah, on and on. <laughs> but we had really done it all, you know. So we could either go back around again, which didn't seem uh, exactly useful, and Selma decided that she was going to do this, and I thought, I've got to go with her, <laughs> which is what I did. Um, it, I, there was some future there that was feminist and female, and uh, that was definitely for me. I was very uncomfortable in being a straight mother. I, I just really hated the relationship, and I loved women, so this was ideal. <laughs> You understand we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> yeah. And Jumping er off a cliff, right? We used to yeah. say we jumped off a cliff. Really, we jumped out of this life off a cliff. Yeah. And really, we were very separatist in those days. Um, and, you know, so we really, all of our interactions were with women. We did have men customers, but they didn't have any relevance to our lives. We were making this uh, blood root, and um, it was very separate. So what's the significance of the blood root plant? Well, <laughs> we like to I used to people. be a gardener, you know, <laughs> like I said, design gardens. And I liked a lot of wildflowers, and actually I liked trout lilies the best, but it didn't sound like the right, you know. I, I mean, what was the name of that stupid place up in Ithaca? White Flower Farm? No, no. With Ithaca, you know. The Ithaca. Moosewood. Moosewood, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Terrible food, you know. <laughs> really, really. Well, I mean, yes. I was never there, but the but cookbooks... <laughs> We're awful. You I can tell think. by the cookbook, the quality of the food. Yeah. yeah, and local people knew there was a really good vegetarian restaurant, um, Cabbage Town Cafe, yeah. and Moosewood was lousy, you know. But anyway, I thought, what a stupid name, Moosewood, you know, for this restaurant. But anyhow... If they could be Moosewood. Yeah, and, and, and I like bloodroot well enough. It is a flower that comes early in the spring. It's called bloodroot because the root, um, you know, bleeds red juice. It was used as a dye plant by Native Americans. And, uh, and you know, I like the flower. And, and most of all, it's rhizomatous, so the rhizomes split, and each piece has its own leaf, and they're vertically furled, which I think is so interesting. And the flower comes through the top, and it's white. Mm. And it doesn't last very long. So it's kind of like being individual but connected. 
It just seemed like a good idea. And then, of course, we were like, blood root or vegetarian restaurant. And I thought, oh, they're thinking about menstruation, so we're going to name it that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because Why not? Yeah. <laughs> because it seems to me that it's important if you're going to be different. You know, I mean, do it. I mean, believe in it. It has to be something that makes sense, that's valid, right? Mm-hmm. And then you just have to go for it. And, and the people who feel that you're speaking to them, they're going to come and they're going to like it. And the people who aren't, don't come and they shouldn't. Okay? <laughs> they shouldn't. Okay. Absolutely. If they don't like the name Bloodroot, if that mm-hmm. bothers them and Moosewood doesn't, they shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so why is it a vegetarian restaurant? Okay. Uh, well, All right, let me talk yeah, a little bit sure. about that. Uh, back when, in the rap group, there was a woman named Priscilla Farrell and uh, her then-friend Jim Mason. They were both vegetarians and very adamant about... He wasn't in the rap group. He wasn't in the yeah. rap group, no. <laughs> but anyway, um, they were both vegetarians, and she particularly was adamant that you couldn't have a feminist restaurant uh, and not be veg- vegetarian. And the reason is the cruelty to animals which is so similar to the cruelty to women. And, um, and so that made sense to Selma, who considered it a challenge yeah. uh, to learn vegetarian well, it cooking. wasn't a vegetarian. Yeah, neither one of us were when we started. Mm-hmm. But, uh, sh- I mean, you can't really argue it when you see some of the things that happen to uh, animals in farming, you yeah. know, and mm-hmm. things that happen to women in various situations. So, mm-hmm. so there wasn't an argument. And besides that, you wouldn't want to make one because it was, once again, something that took us kind of farther into the future in a certain sense and a more radical thing mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's where it started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd go home from starting here and then I'd cook chicken. But I, I got over it, you know? And, and it was, like Noel said, a challenge. Yeah. And, I mean, the other day I had a woman who's vegan say, well, it's so hard to be in season in the winter if you're vegan. And I said, why? Well, there's no vegetables. Well, there's vegetables you've never tried before. There's parsnips and celeriac and all kinds of onions. and, mm, and Turnips and beets. and Yeah, and, you know... And that's what makes life fun, doesn't it? To have a challenge. I mean, if you believe in it, you got to believe in it first, and then figure out what's going to fit. Mm-hmm. So, and, yeah. So that's how we. And never it. mind all the beans, yes, and grains yes. and everything. I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah. What do you think people did back when? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of events do you have? Events. Uh, we used to have events. We don't have events now. This is a major event. Yeah, that's exactly right. This yeah. is a major event. I mean, yeah. we used to have. We we had. We had Adrian Rich, we had Mary Daly, we had Audrey Lord, we had the Combahee Actually. Women's Collective, Collective. Uh, yes. Dorothy, um, <laughs> you know, from the South and wrote a Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, anyway. Maybe it'll come. Uh, well, <laughs> anyway. I mean, we and had... Farron and right? Yeah. Oh, Farron. You know, sure. yeah. And a lot of, uh, you know, musicians mm-hmm. came mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we had Wednesday night for women. Okay. So mm. That's when we did our program. Yeah. Alex Dopkin, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we had them. We, we had a lot of programs, but you know, we don't have Wednesday night for women anymore. Yeah. In that time when we were doing that, women would 
fill the place up. When yes. we first started, they would fill the place up. Yeah. And we got into the 80s, and they got less and less interested or needy of a women's space. Right. They became, they went out into the world and did whatever they were going to do. Be A lot of therapists, a lot of our feminist radical friends, we thought, became therapists, and yeah. we always figured that this was not uh, a radical thing to be doing and not really constructive for women's lives. But that's a lot of them did that. So we didn't have the same group of people coming to the restaurant, and we couldn't keep women's night women only because it had to be full and we had to be able to say I'm sorry you can't come in you needed a reservation and we're filled if there was uh, men coming so it no longer made sense to do that and which is unfortunate but that's what you know things move along and so we stopped the women's night and very occasionally maybe since then we've had things yeah and they haven't been necessarily successful well when uh, Andrea Dworkin was here that oh, was yeah Andrea Dworkin was fabulous and and we also had Mary Daly here, uh-huh. and she Many was times, yeah. unbelievable. And Audrey, you know. yeah, and Audrey. I mean, they're really brilliant, radical women, and they're such an inspiration for us. And they kind of kept us going in a lot of ways. And have any of you read Zami? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. So I met Audrey because if you remember in Zami, there's Muriel. Muriel was a real woman. I was briefly lovers with her, and she brought Audrey to meet me. Okay. She was crazy, okay? Not in a good way. The Muriel person. But anyway, <laughs> but she brought Audrey, and Audrey began reminiscing about the past, you know, the um, 50s, 60s, all that stuff. And, and, of course, it was fascinating, and I wanted to know more. And then she wrote My Mother's Mortar, which was about, oh... A lot of things, but you know, anyway, it was a short story. It was very sexy. And she came and read it on one of our Wednesday nights. And of course, that became the core of Zami. That was what started it. Mm. Because I kept saying, You've got to write this down. You've got to write this down. (laughs) All right, so we knew her. And and what was kind of fun, um, Audrey. And um, oh God, I can't think of her lover's name. Yet. Michelle Cliff. Well, no. No, oh, sorry. Adrian. Adrian. Michelle. Yeah. And uh, the two women who um, I can't mm. remember any names. Anyway, they were in New York. They were friends together. And every time one of them wrote a book, and they all wrote books. Yeah. Okay. They'd have a party, mm. and Audrey wanted us to come. You're and talking we, about Claire Coss. Claire Coss. Yeah. And. I don't remember her yeah, name. Yeah, right. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, you just wait. <laughs> and and we would go. Yeah, just go with it. And and here were these poets, and you know, and and what do you do? Uh, we're cooks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it was this big lesbian parties, you know, the but, fancy lesbians, you yeah, know, New York, yeah. Upper well, Upper East Side. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right. We, but, we were not that. <laughs> anyway, but Audrey insisted that we be there, which was really kind of neat, you know. I mean, it was, and you know. Anyway, <laughs> she was Audrey, sitting on her Audrey lap and bouncing me up and down, which was embarrassing. Isn't it? <laughs> and, you know, Audrey had, she went all over the world, and she had a different woman in every place. You know. And then she'd write the same things when she did, you know, sign the books. You know. if, if it had been you a woman tell. she slept with, she wrote a certain kind yeah. of intimate thing. And there were many of that very certain <laughs> kind of intimate thing. And she was busy. She was busy. She was busy, yeah. <laughs> So that was one scene which was really interesting and you know we were here you know we weren't part of that scene but it was it was kind of fun to, to go there you know and to get these you know books of poetry that were inscribed like that. Yeah. Now on the other side of it 
okay? There was Mary Daly, who was, you know, you probably don't all know this, right? About the thing between Mary Daly and Audre Lorde? No, see? Oh, huh? You do? You know you do? about it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. So, um, Mary came and spoke here, and uh, and because we so admired her and we thanked her, and she invited us to come when she was writing Pure Lust to come to Boston and to audit the class. And she arranged for us to park in, you know, the teacher's professor's lot. And afterwards, we'd go out to dinner with her, which was really amazing. And Mary Daly, for those of you who didn't know her, I mean, Audrey came from the Caribbean, and she had that exuberant nature, you know. Uh, and Mary was a, a poor Irish lower class Catholic Catholic uh, woman who was brilliant and she wanted to be a philosopher and you know you, you couldn't do that in a Catholic school and she kind of broke through everything and for any of you who've read her books they were utterly brilliant mm -hmm. and so she was and of course she uh, worked at um, What's the name? Boston, Boston, College, Boston College, Boston College yeah. which was a Catholic college because she got published early on from Vatican II. This goes way back in history. <laughs> but anyway, um, and she was an amazing woman with an amazing mind. And she wanted us to talk about, you know, and one of the things she hated was when we said we jumped off the cliff, you know, yeah. <laughs> because she wanted everything to be positive, you know. Mm -hmm. All right. But anyway, someplace in there, Audrey wrote a piece, I think, in Off Our Backs, which was this wonderful paper. And uh, it was a feminist newspaper from Washington, and there was another newspaper that wasn't so great that sort of took off on that title. But Off Our Backs was Off the Our Backs, one. Yeah. yeah. And 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 this was an open letter to Mary Daly, is what it was titled. And it was, you know, how dare you make assumptions about black women and you know and you know, okay. Mm -hmm. So that was a really hard thing, and I felt that Audrey was writing to all of us as white women that we ought to pay attention and make sure about our differences and that they're valued. So it wasn't a terrible letter if you took it as a letter to, to white women who were writing about it, but it was a terrible letter to Mary because she felt devastated. And of course, she would go and speak somewhere, and then people would jump up women would jump up and criticize her. And okay. call her racist. It, yeah, it was right. really intense. And it was, it was very, very painful for her. And I don't know, this is just one of those historic things that happen, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think we were the only people who loved them both. And we did. I mean, you know, Mary was, we loved Mary. And, you know, reading Pure Lust, it, it's the most difficult book in the world to read, but it's so brilliant. It's so wonderful. And I certainly loved Audrey, you know, it just, this is what happens, you know. Yeah, I think that uh, Pure Lust, of yes. all the books that we read, was the most, uh, it was most challenging and brought us the further, fur furthest along. Yes. I mean, her thinking about women and where we are in the universe is so exciting and so radical. And uh, that made the biggest difference to us, I think, in our lives here. Yes. How she yes. thought. And I kept thinking, you know what, uh, she is saying something that I don't even know I think. But when she says it, yes, yes, yes. yes. So somewhere in our collective unconscious femaleness, she brought all that out. And it, it was really exciting. It was very, this was a very, very hard thing because it split the women's movement yes. at that time. And there were a lot of white women who were really hard on Mary. And Mary had written a letter back to say, 
you know, whatever her intentions were and, you know, whatever she could do. And it just, it, it, it never was healed. It was never repaired, this no. rift, which is really a sad thing because they were two giants yes. of our time. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it was, a, you know, very bad. Mary would say things like, well, you know, there was this place where, you know, Mary got fucked by a pigeon and got pregnant. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I, you know, in she, other words, she was denouncing religion, all yeah, religions, yeah. all religions, yeah, okay? Right. And that was what was interesting. And, and that they're all patriarchal. They're right. all male. Every right. single religion yeah. in this, you know, universe now and then is a male religion. And she really clarified that so. Yeah. Th- yeah, that it made you know made absolute sense. And, <laughs> and she met a woman in Ireland. She would say some very blasphemous things. <laughs> who wrote a book about the Buddhists? The Buddhists, right? The Buddhists. Right now, look what's going on with the Rohingya. Mm-hmm. And I want to see a Buddhist that's supposed to be this wonderful, peaceful religion stand up and say, "This is awful what you Buddhists are doing to those Rohingya who mm-hmm. are Muslim." Okay. So, you know, it's like that. But nobody's standing up. Nobody's standing up. No. And there's supposed to be all these Buddhists that are, oh, see, this is a religion that's really peaceful. Yeah. Anyway, but she really said all religions, all religions. Yeah. And, and she stayed with that. And so. there was a woman who wrote a book. Yes. Yeah, that's what you were just saying? Yeah. yeah. And she talked about how it is to be a woman, a, a nun in the Buddhist, Buddhist religion. And how, like every other place where men have power, the men abused her. The, the, there was some priest or somebody who was supposed to be her mentor type, you know, yeah. and she tells this story. I can't remember the name of the book, yeah, but yeah. I do have it. If you need to know the name, I can get it for you. Uh, so, you know, as Selma says, this is not a, a peaceful religion. It looks like it might be, maybe, but, you know, it's a, once again, a male religion, male-headed and, you know, and difficult. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People don't know this, you know, because yeah. Yeah, they just don't. <laughs> Well, you've been here for so long. You're going to celebrate your 41st anniversary yeah. in like two weeks. Congratulations right. on that. Yeah. Oh, you've seen feminism move. You've seen the movement grow and change. So over those 40 years, what have you seen women do with this movement? And where do you want to see it go from here? Oh. Well, you know, I've been saying this today to a lots of you, that... Really, we just felt like, oh, well, we're going to do this because we believe in it and it, it's what we are, okay? Mm-hmm. Period, okay? But all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, we had fucker Donald Trump come along and he released something, okay? Right. He released anger, yeah. okay? Yeah. And you had that first Women's March, which I thought, well, that's, that's an event. That's pretty neat. I'm glad that happened. I didn't go. I, I couldn't possibly do that. But I made a hat for Noel's daughter, a pussy hat. And the woman I live with went, okay. And I thought, oh, that's good. Okay, that's nice. We'll see what happens with that. And then we had a second women's march. I thought, oh, maybe we've got a movement. And then, for heaven's sakes, me too. Really? And, yeah. and now we're seeing, we're seeing women uh, run for public office. We're seeing uh, Black Lives Matter, and it feels like maybe something is about to happen. And obviously, I can't swear to it, you know, but I'm hoping. I'm hoping that in November, we're going to see a lot of Republicans out of office, okay? I'm hoping. And a lot of women in office. (laughs) Right. And, you know, and it could be all kinds of wonderful things, and it could be it's going to flip again because that's what happens. And you're going to have these, these divisions like we did 
in the feminism. I mean, you know, we figured lesbian feminists wanting pornography? Ridiculous. But you know, it happened. It happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is early 80s. All of a sudden, there were these women making pornographic movies and things and, and thinking that we should love that. I know you don't know because it was a long time ago. And it was, you know, very divisive, okay, because we didn't figure that's what this was about. And there's so many other little things, but we'll let them pass for now. So, but I think I'm hoping that at least while I'm still alive, we're going to see some real movement. You know, but the, the trans thing is terrible because this <laughs> is a nice segue, right? <laughs> well, because it's so anti-feminist. It's so, and I just figure because I got to say this over and over again. This is the thing about femininity and masculinity. You know, they are these things, and you know. So if you don't feel particularly feminine, well, you might as well turn yourself into a man. If you don't, you know, that's if what you want to do nail polish and such, you might as well turn yourself into a woman. Because you're not fitting into the stereotypes. So the stereotypes, so, that's the word I could You know, find. and the, the, men, the men that do this, I mean, they, they don't fit into the male stereotypes, so, you know, so then they think, well, I might as well be a woman or pretend to be, you know. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. it's a lot of... And, and that's not feminism. Right. Feminism is about stretching the parameters of what it is to be a man or a woman. Feminism is saying... You can be what you want to be and stretch what it is to be a man or a woman. And uh, what was her name who wrote uh, Another Mother Tongue? Oh. Judy Grant. Mm-hmm. Judy Grant. Judy Grant. Mm, yeah. Judy Grant. And yeah. she talked about that, about how the gay men and the lesbian women have always stretched their communities. They are on the periphery of the community. So they could see what the community could be and that that's what we should look at. I don't know where Judy Grant is on this subject today. I have no idea. But that's what we believed. And so when you say that, you know, femininity is, is a model that you should copy, and it, it's just and you disgusting. get Bruce Jenner with his nails. Yeah. Or, or you get women in seven-inch high heels who are breaking their legs all the time. Mm. You know, you get, you know, people full of holes in their faces. You know, you get all that stuff. And, you know, it's okay, but this is not feminism. Feminism is to treasure the core of what you are and realize that there's a lot of room to move around in that core, you know? Without doing destructive damage, damage to your body uh, in any way, you know, with all the things that go on with that, so. That's where we are. Yeah. <laughs> so on this kind of uh, page, yeah. what happened recently in this restaurant? Uh-huh. Yeah, it started as a normal conversation, yeah. and then it blew up all over the internet. Can you talk right. about that? Selma was the person that had the conversation, <laughs> so she's probably <laughs> the one who's gonna talk about it. Yeah. Well, here was this perfectly lovely little dyke. I love little dykes, I mean, you know. <laughs> the future. And uh, so, you know, I'm always glad, you know, when, when a lesbian walks in the door because, you know. But, you know, the important thing here is that I'm a Jew and a woman and and a Pisces and <laughs> well this is important because when somebody comes in and they are not sure if they're going to be welcome here I can feel it I really can feel it and way back I would go to a restaurant by myself and they looked at me like I was shit you know so I never ever do that when somebody walks in the door I say welcome okay I mean fat women in particular feel so unhappy in themselves. And 
I don't want them to, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to be unhappy, even if I don't like the choices that they've made. Mm -hmm. So they walk in the door, and I say welcome, and I smile at them, and I try to talk to them. Men, too. You and know? she means it, by the way. I she do. means it. Yeah. And she can find where, where she can talk to these various people, wherever, someplace mm -hmm. where there's a connection. Yeah, and it's really because I, I believe in that with all my heart. You know, mm -hmm. we're cooking food for it. For, you know, and, and I want you to be happy with it, and I want you to feel welcome here. And I mean, I, I absolutely do feel that way with all my heart and soul. That's why I enjoy my work, right? <laughs> okay, so here's this woman, and she's saying something. Well, number one, she said something about uh, Queen Audrey, which I guess she meant somebody else, not, I don't not know. our no, Audrey. She meant Audrey Lorde. Did she? She, <laughs> she did. was referring to Audrey Lord, and it's so ironic given yeah. that Audrey Lord was a radical feminist, <laughs> and yet. <laughs> Just is so fond of bastardizing her entire name and yeah. all her life's yeah. work, and mm. just likes to conveniently forget she was friends with Adrian Rich. Just a yeah. bunch of <laughs> it is really funny, almost. Um, and Audrey was anti-pornography. I mean, she was right. she was you know. Well, anyway, but so that, and they also misinterpret right, Adrian Rich. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Anyway, so she's telling us, you know, there's this wonderful place in Massachusetts for trans people. Isn't that terrific? And I was like, really? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'd rather, you know, women born of women space. Well, that did it for her. So she went out, and I don't even know, I never saw the original thing that she wrote, but I guess that fired up a whole bunch of people to... You know, well, she's told a bunch of lies. Actually, she said oh, things about absolutely. us being aggressive and violent, and what, a whole bunch aggressive of things that she said. And violent, yeah. and it's Lesbianism interesting. is automatically violent. Centering women is violent. <laughs> and, and the latest thing pieces have been: don't wear pussy hats; they're somehow killing trans women. Every time that I've walked into Bloodroot, even before I knew anything about feminism, anything like that, I always felt welcomed. Sure. Because you women do, and this is not a lie, right? You do say hello to every single person. It's the warmest smile you could ever see. Seriously. And so it's just really interesting, especially when you think of uh, Selma when you were mentioning during the 80s when all of this lesbian feminist pornogra yeah. pornography what, like, was coming up, right? Um, and then to see how that has progressed into now long time ago, when we were much younger. We used to stock our women's bathroom with, with sanitary napkins. Okay, tampons, okay, all right. So, and this is the kind of typical thing. A party of four came in a couple of weeks ago. I don't have it now, it's in my pocket. Anyway, and uh, definitely people of an age, at least in their mid-60s, if not 70s, and they love the food, and the guy goes to them and he said, do you have a, a uh, suggestion box? No. I gave him a card. He wrote this whole thing, which I've got in my knitting bag. And essentially it said that his friend was just elected to the city council. And this is the first transsexual to be elected to city council. And he told him, this friend, that he's uncomfortable, he, she, uh, going to public hey. restrooms because he doesn't know where to go. <laughs> so maybe we should make our restrooms gender neutral, is what... This was what it said on the suggestion. Now, I know he doesn't mean any harm. He's a good liberal He's a man. liberal. He's a liberal. He's a straight guy, and he's a liberal. So I wrote a little thing, but I'm not sure if I'm going to do it, you know. And the little thing says, if you're a woman, trans or otherwise, use the women's bathroom. 
If you're a man, trans or otherwise, use the men's bathroom. If you're uncertain, use either one. <laughs> okay? okay? Or really, if one of them is busy, just use the one that's not busy, because they're both single restrooms. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all, it doesn't matter. It's yeah, so right? stupid. It's so <laughs> stupid. But this you know, is not the first request for something, some yeah. change in our... Yeah. Oh, yeah. The funny thing was that when we first opened... And we, you know, went to the restaurant supply, and we needed a sign that said men's room, women's room. And they had a sign. They didn't have a sign that said men's room. They were out of them. They had a sign that said gentlemen. Oh, goody. Okay. So we got that one. And then, of course, they had ladies. We didn't want ladies. So we got women. Okay. And that's what we put up. Well, wouldn't you know, we got all these notes about how sexist we were being because we didn't have this equal thing of men, women, ladies, gentlemen. Yeah. And, you know, we said it was our affirmative action. <laughs> but I mean, because you know, people always want to nitpick you on some yeah. damn thing. But, you know, I want to tell you all that I am so upset with Brian Lear and, you know, what do you call it, NPR in general, because I think they are encouraging this thing about the trans Mm-hmm. Because they keep having these happy stories about somebody with a five-year-old, that, you know, and and how you know they understood and they did all this and how wonderful that is, and and I'm just sick of it. And you know, it's okay though. I don't think it's okay for the five-year-old, but you know, they are not telling the other side to it. These people who, you know, call us turfs and and. Uh, the other thing <laughs> that a parent is going to collaborate in this insanity yes, yes. they have a five-year-old little boy who wants to wear a dress and they want to make him into a little girl and they give uh, approve drugs. of that give him a dress give him drugs do whatever surgery I, I am so you know upset about this I can't even begin to go near it and people like Brian Lair they don't think about this and this person who's five years old what does he or she know about who they are anyway and then to give them drugs the rest they have to take drugs their whole lives you know and uh, it's just so uh, anti-life that's how I think of it it's anti-life and I think you know when Selma was saying what it, about feminism and how it, it is our it's our umbrella and to me that umbrella is a, a true love for life mm-hmm. not for all the manipulations and the cuttings and the 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 hatred that the transsexual uh, universe is into it's just it's just really something and I know this would be a really a, a big argument if I had it with someone but I just I I just can't see how any person can think this is okay to do. Now, in terms of a fellow feeling feminine, let's say, I don't have any problem with that either, just like so. Of course not. There isn't any problem. The problem that I have is with the destruction that they do to their own bodies, the self-hate that this indicates. And how much they hate us. And they hate us, (laughs) that's right. They hate themselves too, though, because you can't do something like that to yourself without. You're born with a certain thing, and you got to deal with it. If you got fat thighs or a crooked nose, or you know you don't like your color, whatever it is, it's what yeah. you're born with, and you've got to come to some peace with that, really, to truly love yourself. And if you don't, then you spend a lot of time in you know plastic surgery and uh, uh, other something things, delicious. something, something, you know. Yeah. And so, as far as the way that I think about it is these people have the hatred of themselves and they also have the hatred of women. And I think they hate women because they do not procreate. Women have babies. Men do not. They're going to work it out so that they can pretend like they do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listen, they're working it out now so that they can nurse. You know that. They gave them hormones. There's some guy in the New York Times. There's a little article. 
he and had he still got his pricking balls. Hey, oh yeah, gotta keep those. You wanna hear the funniest thing about that? Uh, in the different articles that they have, you know, they have different photographs of women like breastfeeding mm. and someone said, is this person in the picture like a trans woman? And we all said, no, this person is a female-bodied woman. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting. So this person who we all heard about in this article, mm. they were not identified. And yet, mm -hmm. other women's pictures were placed uh -huh. in. And it's, it's really oh, interesting. It's the eradication wow. oh, of yeah. the female existence. Yeah. You're right. Wow. You know, if, yes. if the female doesn't need to exist if it's not necessary right exactly then our right. existences not are not necessary that is a deep level of hatred when you breastfeed huh. like you hear a baby but, crying and like depending on the baby's nutritional needs the components of the milk change like it's also just like the drug itself like there is no way that's that right. been researched enough like have you heard of thalidomide like, <laughs> yeah, and also I'm pretty sure that that person was on testosterone blockers like at the same yeah, time. Sure. So which... and also the, the This was in Britain, Great Britain, right? Well, yeah, I think so. That's what the story. I think was. they imported it and then did it in the United States. Yeah. Like, well, here's yeah. the other thing: and, and would they be exclusively doing this days. sort of research if this was an issue that affected women? I mean, right. there have been plenty of women who are infertile, but right. now is when womb implants are taking off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. I mean, think about birth control, right? So oh, female. Yeah. Birth control is not great. No. It's awful. I've been on it before. It's awful, and. When they were trying to design male birth control, all the men said, oh, this makes us feel sad. This doesn't make me feel good. This kind of hurt. And um, anything else that affects the female body goes unresearched. Like endometriosis, polycystic right. ovarian right. syndrome. That's right. I had a friend who recently had a pregnancy scare because she was on... on um, Oh, antibiotics, and they delayed her period, mm -hmm. and so she had no way of knowing. She went to the internet, searching, like hunting down, like is like, am I pregnant? Mm -hmm. What does this mean? I'm on birth control, and there was no answer for her. There's only threads of other people saying the same mm -hmm. thing. There's no research out there, yeah, not a single thing. Most medication, like well, most medication isn't actually tested on uh, females at all. It's only mm -hmm. tested on men and only dosed for men because yeah. the woman might possibly get pregnant and they don't know what it'll do to a fetus, so they don't test medications on women. <laughs> so anything you take, there's actually no research that's been done on what it does to a female body specifically. That's yeah. fucking great. Yeah, I mean, same with like uh, the fact that they only use male crash dummies and so women die in car crashes a lot more. Yeah. Because yeah. safety standards are built for adult yeah. men. Yeah. So, We've had different centers of gravity. Yeah, like, yeah. it's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's so mind boggling to me yeah. that like, you know, there are differences, mm -hmm. yeah. but because a woman might get pregnant, theoretically, it's not worth knowing right. what medications mm -hmm. do to females at all. Mm -hmm. And yeah. now you're not allowed to acknowledge that women and men have biological differences. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and then That's also, right. like, yeah. even after the women are pregnant, like, there's so much that goes into prioritizing the fetus over the women's right. Right. Yes. Such oh, yeah. an inordinate yeah. maternal mortality yep. rate, and yep. a lot yep. of it comes from, like, doctors prioritizing yeah, the fetus right. rather yeah. than mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. I have entirely diagnosable and preventable things like preeclampsia, mm -hmm. and people are just dying. Yeah. Mm. So, what would you say yeah. to all the people who are like slandering you on the internet? <laughs> what would you say to these people? And I mean, yeah. most of them are men, right? Yeah. What would you say to these people who are saying bad things about Bloodroot? You know something? We don't have to say anything mm -mm. because I don't know the numbers, but my daughter does. 
thousands, thousands of people who have been coming here for 40 years said, you're wrong, they are not like that. So we don't have to say anything else, really. I like that. You know? Yeah. I mean, we have not been like what they are saying. <laughs> and, and, you know, we have had a few transgender people come here, okay, both flavors. And as I say, we're as we always are, and if people don't like it here, they don't have to come. We are not here to please everybody. We are here to please ourselves. That is different from other restaurants. And ourselves are feminists, okay? So and the other part of that is that the when the transgender people have come here, we have been as welcoming to yes. them yes. as we are to everyone else. Yes. Absolutely so. Because the way I feel is you know, obviously some of them are fuckers beyond belief, okay? And I was shocked to see how awful they are. And that's what I think ought to be on public radio, mm -hmm. that some of these guys are like that, okay? But, you know, we've had, we had a woman who worked for us who decided to do this, you know? And, and I'm, I'm sorry, I think, I think they're ill. That's what I think. I think they are upset with their bodies like most teenagers, if you will, you know, I was, you know, and I'm sorry that they feel this way. I think it's awful what the medical profession has promoted, this cure, which is not a cure, it's destructive, you know, and so, you know, I don't, I don't hate them, I feel bad for them, you know, um, and this is a little side thing, when I was growing up here in Bridgeport, the Jewish girls all got their noses fixed. There was by one doctor, and he specialized in it. And, you know, and I probably would have liked it too, but of course my mother would have been horrified because she was a feminist. But I mean, it's like that. It's, it's like it was in style that the medical profession is recommending this thing. That's awful. And I sure would like to see something against that. Yeah. I'd like to see NPR do something about that. I mean, it makes me angry because I like NPR. <laughs> <laughs> and the New York Times, it did, you know, yeah. editorial after editorial about, oh, these wonderful transgender people. Well, like I say, I feel bad, you know, but, you know. I just want to say, too, like, knowing Nolan Selma for as long as I have, all of their positions really come from a place of love. Radical feminism really focuses on the collective. It's, it's important and I think that anyone who would like to think twice about Nolan Selma's character really need to know and really need to look into themselves and realize that their position, Nolan Selma's position is out of love. And any opposition, <laughs> against them is out of hatred. Mm -hmm. And what is well, that? Is that feminism? Mm -hmm. That's what we need to think about. Well, let me just say that it's hard for me to hear love as the, the word that expresses it because it's bandied about so much, uh, you know, and it's, it's kind of, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I don't mean yeah. to argue no, with you about no, it at no. all, but uh, it's like we don't have the right word for it, I think of right. what it is and and it, and it is it, it, the thing that I think about always is this umbrella over every decision and every decision <coughs> being as much as possible conscious of it is life giving life or affirming. life affirming yeah. life creating yeah. and I think the creation part is also a big part of it yeah. you know and Selma talks about how uh, what is magic and its transformation and she can talk in, in detail about mm -hmm. it but 
I think that's a big part of feminism too. So, so that's it. And uh, we're carrying on. You know what's so much fun for, for us, really? We've got a lot of women working with us right now who are not born in this country. Mm-hmm. And some of them have had very little education. I am so impressed with the way their intelligence has grown. It's really different from mine. It's exceedingly valuable. Okay, and I'm just so amazed at what they know and what they can pull up that I have no access to. Hmm. And wow, it's just a treat. It's really a treat. And and see, this is true about a lot of things. Like you know, when this woman said to me about how, well, what can you do if you're a, a vegan in the winter? You know, and well, you got to discover celeriac and parsnips, and you know, it, it's like um, finding out. Yeah, I hate to use the word mystery because it's a stupid word. But, you know, finding out. I mean, it's even like looking at my cat and I can tell from his meow that he means something very different from what he said yesterday. <laughs> I, you know, it's different kinds of intelligence and different kinds of value in things. And it, that isn't love. It's like so exciting. You know, it's, I guess it's respect or something. But there's just a lot of ways to go around life. And to have access, well, shall I yeah. jump in? One of the things that I think about in terms of the women that we work with is that um, their life experiences have been so different from ours. Mm-hmm. So all of their learning is different, as Selma said. And uh, I feel amazingly privileged to be as intimate with yeah. these women as we are. I mean, it is amazing. And they, since there are a number of women of color who are, there's also a certain bonding that, that I see and understand in a, in a particular way. But each one of them comes from a culture where they walk into the kitchen and there are just certain things that you are supposed to do and you're supposed to do them right. The cleaning things or the cooking things or the chopping things. There's a certain kind of uh, kind of pride in all of these things that they do, and and it's true they don't you know some some of them uh, can just don't read a real lot or they you know their math skills whatever, but they have a certain kind of intelligence that's very different, and I figure that we know about this in a way that most people could never know, unless you live with a person who's got a totally different culture and you really watched how that person functioned, yeah. and also. It's because there's not only not just one person here that's of a different culture, but there are many. And each one is a little different in how she responds. And I, I am, as I say, feel really privileged to be that, in that kind of proximity to these women. And that's feminist. Yeah. I mean, it's an it's a embracing of a diversity. And they have a different, you know, they come from very patriarchal uh, cultures, all. yeah, um, and they're more involved in those cultures than we are in our patriarchal culture. But they also, unlike most, uh, well, w- white women in this culture, they have one a female culture of their own mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. separate from the men, mm-hmm. and they have a lot of power and strength in that culture, and you know, pride and love of each other and all that. So, so all that, and is, of course, we've had these discussions about Jesus Christ and don't you really believe in him at the end, you know? They, t- they say, ask no. us. <laughs> and I, I, I try to think about this, you know, how, you know, way thousands of years ago, people would try to understand, you know, where did we all come from? What's the source? And people made up stories, okay? And I figure Christianity is one of those stories. 
and well, but everybody has to really believe in one God and Jesus Christ in the end. And and then I, you know, tell them, well, you know, look at India where there's a whole bunch of goddesses that you know, these are other stories. Well, it's hard for them, yeah, to believe that. Yeah. But anyway, in the end, I mean, we had a, a good discussion, and in the end, they said, well. It's okay because we love you and we're going to pray for you, <laughs> which is fine. And it's that's fine. Fine because we go as far as we can in our different histories and cultures, and <laughs> and they do love us and I love them. So I'm you know, yeah. and they take care of each other, which yeah. is really nice. And they come from different places. Yeah, you know? um, we've Haiti, got the Congo, and, Haiti, yeah. Jamaica, yeah, uh, uh, Ethiopia, Ethiopia. What do you think is the importance of female-only space? <laughs> Why is that important? As soon as a man walks into a space, every woman, lesbian, straight, bi, whatever, changes. Yep. Everyone. Yep. That's right. And we don't want that to happen here. Okay? And we have a lot of men friends who come here and, you know, have a son, blah, blah. But uh, <laughs> that is what happens, and we can't help it. That is, women can't help it. I mean, there may be a rare one here. Maybe one of you thinks you could avoid, you know, giving a little extra attention to him or, or even in the negative, responding to him. We don't want that. And we've been very lucky that we haven't had to do that. Yeah. Even a nice young man, you know, would not be a good thing in any women's space. And that's why, because women just... It's it just, changes. It changes. It's really remarkable. Sometimes, you know, like for instance in the raft, sometimes a husband would come to pick up and you can just feel everything kind of fall apart, you know, <laughs> all the connections that women have made, just, you know, it's just, uh, so, it's different. And it's very different. It doesn't mean that women are all terrific either. You know? No, no, <laughs> no, <you> know. <laughs> we, know that, we know that. <laughs> so, my last question is, uh, our listeners are mostly lesbians and radical feminists, mm -hmm. so is there anything that you would like to say to them? the lesbians and, and radical feminists who listen to WLRN. I'm so glad you exist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when, you know, Lynn talks about a movement. We did not feel there was any movement anymore. We did but not. But now feel. we look around and we but see we there go, is. Wow. It's so exciting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Just go on thinking. Mm. And, you know, it's this stuff, the academic stuff, which came from the, uh, I guess, the French feminist a long time ago. Foucault and all those guys. And, and that woman at Yale. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to mention the name, even. Yeah. The woman at Yale, what's her name? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Anyway, who, who pushes that? Butler. Butler, Butler Judith Butler. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, was that in the 80s? Was that when that started? Uh, well, yeah, the, the French feminist, the yeah, guy, Jacques Foucault. Who was downhill? You know who there. wrote about this is Sheila Jeffries. Yeah, you know Sheila Jeffries. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> she came for our anniversary, which was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if that's what they're teaching in school, then school is shit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because really, you have to know that what you are is is a value and important, and and I mean this is true like for any cultural differences, you know. And like I say, the Caribbean women, when somebody walks in the door and they recognize each other, okay, as they should, and and the eyes say, you know, welcome, you know, you and I are come from the same kind of background, you know what I mean? And we have to recognize who we are, and and don't let them tell you that this is invalid, you know, that 
I mean, this nonsense, and it's a man-made thing that you can be anything you want to be, and we'll just fix you up to make you that way, and if the world doesn't like it, that's too bad, you know? And there is nothing about it that is about community or self-love. And I'm for self-love and community. And some communities don't get along with other communities. Um, our uh, Ethiopian woman who's working with us, and she's Muslim. And I said, what about Eritrea? You know, I have Eritrean friends. I have Ethiopian friends. We get along fine. It's those men who are running the, the countries that... Mm. You know, theater of problem. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know, and that's what I need is communication with people like her. You know, because and it doesn't mean you know. I mean, there's lots of trouble between everybody and everybody, but we just we got to have some values that are not that. <laughs> anyway, you know that book, uh, the Moral Lives of Animals. Yes. Okay, this is a book oh, about animals. A man wrote it. <laughs> a man wrote it. Yeah. Uh, and what was amazing about this book is you're almost at the end, and all of a sudden he starts talking well, he's about... he's talking about animals that are dying out. Right. In the whole book. Yeah. And he's talking about people think that animals don't have morality. And then he cites all the, t- the studies that have been done that show that they do. They do. Okay. Last five pages. Oh, the last five pages <laughs> he starts talking about women and the women's movement and how... Uh, we've, we shouldn't be, um, discouraged, discouraged, yeah, discouraged about, about things because this is happening and it's happening slowly and gradually. And if you think back to the suffragettes and getting the vote and now all the women that are in Congress and blah, 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 and he figures 200 years from then, which is, I guess, another 100 years from now, that it's going to be fine. <laughs> but it is a progression that's going on. And I, I like that. I know it's it's not radical or anything, but I like it to think of it as, as this, uh, you know, slow-moving wave that will take over humanity, hopefully before we destroy ourselves. <laughs> Men destroy us. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, you know, and you look and you see there's more women in courts, there's more women, and not that they're all doing the very best thing, sometimes they're not, but it does change things. And I remember back when in the 70s, we would talk about, well, if only the police department would be 50% women. This was when there weren't any women in the police department, none, and the fire department, or any of those places. So even in our lifetimes, there's been this gradual inroads, you know, that are, make, that are happening. So we'll see. Meanwhile, it's really good you're all here. Oh, gosh. Do we have to make quiche or do we have enough? Oh, quiche. No, we do. We have to. <laughs> we have to make quiche. We have to make quiche. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been great. Thank you. thank you for your time. All of Selma and Noel of Bloodroot Vegetarian Restaurant and Feminist Bookstore just took us on a journey. Their journey of finding and building woman-centered community and of literally taking up space in a patriarchal world. They spoke of the giants they fed, like Andrea Dworkin and Mary Daly, as well as ways in which movements can delve and divide. These awesome dykes have cooked up quite a herstory over the past 41 years, and don't even get me started on their avocado toast. I have no words to accurately describe the joy I felt by simply being in their presence. Thank you, Selma. Thank you, Noel. And thanks to all the women out there who take the time to listen. Just for the record, the women who hosted Audre Lorde and Adrian Rich in New York were Blanche Weissen-Cook and Claire Koss. This is Julia Beck, over and out.